Welcome back to Coaches on the Beach, and today we have Joe Kramer from Stanford joining us. In this episode, Joe gives us a little insight of her background and playing days, and then we also get into a very deep dive of a statistical talk, which I love. Um, We really hope you enjoy this one, and we will catch you next week. Hey. How are you? Good. How are you guys? Doing well. You guys have a good practice? Yeah, it was a tough one. A lot of conditioning. (laughs) There you go. Did you do it with them? No. (laughs) What? I'm not that dedicated. Not that dedicated. (laughs) Um, Yeah, you guys just get back this week? Yeah. Yeah, Monday was our first day back in class and practice. Nice. How... um... How close are you guys, or how close do you live to campus? Because, like, if practice just ended and you were able to get home and get on this Zoom call, that feels... Yeah, I'm really close. close. <laughs> I'm like... That's uh, pretty epic. Yeah, like 10, 10 minutes max. Are you, uh, are you a bike to worker? No, I've been driving because it's been cold, but sometimes I'll... I have an electric skateboard that I use when it's nice out. Okay, a boosted board to get yourself to work? Yeah, it's pretty fun. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. You, you're probably used to that, right? Because you're a traditional Californian. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I grew up surfing and snowboarding, so it's not too bad. Skateboarding. Actually, my cousin is a professional skateboarder, and I, like, idolized him when I was little, so that's okay. why. <laughs> Your cousin is a professional skateboarder? Yeah. Okay, do we know him? Like, is it Tony Hawk? Are you cousins with Tony Hawk? Yeah, it's Tony Hawk. No, no, no. Oh, that's amazing. Name- no, his name's Wes Kramer. He uh, he doesn't compete anymore, but um, I, I mean, I don't know anything about the skateboarding world, but apparently Skate Mafia is like a well-known media outlet kind of crew of skaters, and he and a couple other guys started that when he was like 14. Dang. Yeah, it's pretty and crazy. he's not 14 anymore. No, he's uh, like 34, somewhere around there. Okay. Yeah. Dude, he was named Skater of the Year by Thrasher Mag. Mm-hmm. This is so cool of a thing that I didn't know. Yeah. Um, that's pretty ball- sponsored by DC. That's how you know you've made it. Because yeah, right. That's like the that's got to be a go to um, skateboard sponsorship. So, all right. So I saw you went to Harvard Westlake. Mm-hmm. Where did you grow? Did you grow up up there, or were you more of like a South Bay? I grew up um, like Santa Monica, Pacific Palisades area. So it was a good uh, good 45-minute drive to high school. But I loved Harvard Westlake. It was worth it. It's a fantastic school, good volleyball program. I was really very fortunate to have that experience. Yeah. And then you coached there for two years. Mm-hmm. I did. Um, who was your head coach? The head coach was Natalie Morgan at the time. Oh, good old Nat. Well, yeah. Her- Greg Faulkner is like a good, good friend. Oh, nice. Yeah. So I think he probably took the job after you left, if I had to guess. He Um, was there when I was there. So, yeah, he's been varsity assistant for a long time. Um, Does a fantastic job with the program. All the girls love him. He's super energetic, obviously very knowledgeable. Um, Natalie, I think, is now at Long Beach with the indoor program. She was awesome, too. I loved working with them. And I obviously know a lot more about beach than indoor. So I got to learn a little bit from there on the indoor front. Yeah. Yeah. Natalie had a great career, right? She Or has a great career, I should say. She started at Nebraska. 
which I think okay. most people have probably heard of. Yeah, um, at least on the indoor side, they're mm -hmm. they're okay. Um, and then she went back to Harvard Westlake yeah, just to live in SoCal. And then when Tyler uh, took that Long Beach job, she kind of wanted to get back into college. Oh. So Long Beach luckily fits in with her and and her husband's life, but. Uh, Greg Faulkner, right? For those that don't know, big six foot ten, uh, middle from Northridge. Uh, you can catch him on any given day on the uh, on Twenty First Street playing fours in Hermosa. Uh, also catching coaching at SC Legends and Harvard Westlake. He is the pride of the South Bay, with no doubt. So. I remember a... when I was at Penn State, we were going out to Long Beach to play against Northridge, and he was one of the guys that we had to scout and uh i remember taking the scout into our head coach at the time and i was just like um he jumps high he's tall i don't know what to do <laughs> <laughs> so our whole our whole offensive plan was just to try to get him out of system as much as possible because we yes. weren't going to stop him he was way too big and then he had travis mangorian uh setting him so that guy could dish the ball all over the court but yeah, just a little blast from the past when I heard Greg Faulkner's name. <laughs> yeah, he's a hoot, man. He's he's definitely a, a South Bear. Okay, so you grew up in Palisades. So mm -hmm. we did you start playing beach like on the Santa Monica Challenge Courts? How does this how does this yeah. come? Yeah. So my first beach experience was actually going to uh Sinjin Smith and Randy Stoklos summer camp. And back then it was one location in the Palisades. I don't know exactly what year they started it, but pretty recently to when I started going, um, they were there themselves every day. It hadn't like expanded to the point where they couldn't be there all the time anymore. It was just beach volleyball. I think like third, fourth ish year that I did it, it kind of started to be more of a beach than just a volleyball camp. So you could like sign up for the volleyball portion in the morning, surf in the afternoon, hang out on the beach. But the first year I did it, it was like all volleyball, a couple coaches, maybe like 10 of us there. It was like me and Hagen and just a bunch of other random Palisades kids. Um, that was my first experience. And my introduction to John Aharoni, if you guys know him, who used to coach USA stuff. Um, he then ended up being one of my high school coaches. One of my, like, I consider him a mentor, taught me the game. I love him. He now works with... Um, sitting teams and he works oh, with the Paralympic uh, beach yes. team Paralympic beach yeah. team that's, and which is so awesome and I've gotten a couple opportunities to like just played some friendly matches with some of those guys with him which is super cool um but yeah that was my intro was like super lighthearted, fun summer camp you know play beach in the morning surf in the afternoon what more could you ask for it just made me fall in love with the sport <laughs> Yeah. And being all in love with it, you still decided to go play indoor in college. I How did. does that whole thing come about? Yeah, that was an interesting uh, decision by me, but it all worked out for the best. They were supposed to get a beach team at Notre Dame. So mm. I went because I wanted to be able to play both, which I would not have been able to do at SC. Um, I was told that a beach team was kind of in the works. I don't know how much information I was given if I was being, you know, misled or just like miscommunicated or whatever, but ended up not happening. I found out as soon as our indoor season ended that that wasn't going to happen. Um, so I got permission to talk to other coaches, transferred to SC in the spring that same year. So 
I don't feel like I really lost much time. I think it was a great experience going there. I had never lived outside of California, so it was really informative for me to understand what a real winter is like, understand what a different part of the country is like. Um, also pretty eye-opening to me that I was not a great indoor player. I probably thought I was like the shit when I was in high school and then realized I'm not actually very good. I should stick to beach. I'm much better at that. Um, so it was a good experience overall. <laughs> yeah, it, it sounds like it. Um, I do have to question, right, your judgment, thinking that Notre Dame, like you've been to South Bend. Did you take a visit before you went to Notre <laughs> yeah, Dame? Yeah, I did visit actually. Okay. So they, they have some indoor sand courts uh, Oh. pretty close to the campus that they were going to use. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Okay. All right. Because I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, I don't even know how I'd have bought into that because that would have been. about as cold as humanly possible now was your coach there was that jim mclaughlin when he was at notre dame or was No, it who was Debbie Brown. debbie brown okay um and so you realize you can't play both and then you're like all right sc recruited me for beach um probably known anna for however many years before you decided to go there um and then you jump in and, and you're kind of thrown to the wolves right away right that first year is a little topsy-turvy I guess for yourself but you guys still managed to, to win the national championship what's it like showing back up and trying to pick up the sand legs and then looking around and be like oh these are all the girls that I used to play with but they've been training beach all fall Yeah, oh my gosh, it was a humbling experience to say the least. Like I trained over winter break. I think I knew when I was training over that winter break that it was going to be tough. I felt not in beach shape, very uh, indoor as, you know, heavy lifting. Um, I was definitely strong, but running in the sand is a different beast. So it took me a while to get back into that. Um, everyone on the team was just so good. So I think... the coaches probably had higher expectations for me than was the reality at the time. I still vividly remember first practice. I'm thrown it with the partner who ends up being our threes blocker playing against like, you know, the top teams and just getting crushed and destroyed. And like my confidence is completely shot. Um, getting moved down to the bottom court, like after the first week of practice. So it was kind of a slap in the face, but it was, the right move for the team and the good thing to do. And I just worked that semester. I got better. Um, I played sixes all year. So it was like, I got to play still, but it was low pressure relatively. I got in a couple fives matches, which kind of boosted my confidence back up winning those um, and motivated me to train over the summer really hard. So it ended up being for the best. And I got so much better that semester, just trying to keep up with everyone else on the team trained played every tournament I could that summer um and then was lucky enough to come back and play the next three years so it was a good uh kick in the butt Yeah, and it's a hard team to just jump into because, right, you guys are, 2015 was the first year back in the national championship, maybe? Is that? yeah uh, I don't I don't know off the top of my head what happened in the 2014 season Okay. uh But yeah, 2015, it was still an AVCA national championship, but we won Yeah. and it was awesome experience. Yeah, and you guys won pretty handily, if I recall, like, Yeah. I think Pepperdine was maybe the only other team that was really giving you guys a run, a run for your money. Um, and then you come back out the next year and you're doing it again. Right. And then this time you're playing with, uh, with Zoe. Yeah, playing with Zoe was such a fun experience. Like she's so positive. 
peppy, um, different than who I was used to playing with because she's not so intense like the rest of our team was. She was a four-year indoor player at UCLA, came to USC to do her grad year, um, huge blocker, had played beach before, but was more of an indoor style of player. So I think it was fun for me to, even though I was younger than her, she kind of was a leader for me in the experience competing realm. I was a leader for her in the beach knowledge realm. So we meshed really well and we just had fun. Yeah. It was, seemed felt low pressure playing with her. And when you guys were put together, was that the beginning of the year? And then you guys just wrote it out throughout? Pretty much. Um, oh, it's like, it's a long time ago now. It feels like, I yeah. feel like I'm getting old, but um, I feel we probably mixed around in the fall. I do remember that fall, her and Therese Cannon were kind of duking it out, which is so funny now to think Therese Cannon was duking it out for a five spot. Now she's so freaking good. Yeah. But that was her first year really playing beach. She was all indoor before that. Um, and I was also in that mix with a couple other defenders. So I think we probably switched around like first couple of months of the fall, but before winter break, I think we pretty much knew it was me and Zoe and we never changed for the rest of the season. Um, that was a pretty co consistent theme actually at yeah. SC kind of pick the partners, set the lineup, have faith in that. There are very few changes with on at the helm at least. And I'm gonna I'm gonna rattle your your memory a little bit more. Um, yeah. Was there a certain game that you guys you and Zoe just clicked and you're like, oh yeah, this is definitely gonna work out, or in a practice setting, or where where did that relationship start? Ooh, you know that's a good question. I think I feel like the relationship started just from practice. Her being so outgoing, I'm a little more on the reserve side and Zoe can talk to anyone for any amount of time, which I respect so much because I do not have that skill. Um, but she just jokes around, like made it light and fun, made me feel comfortable being myself and talking to her. So that blossomed pretty early at practice. Um, but I feel like I remember a specific game. I think we were playing UCLA, which was a tough opponent that year. And we, I want to say we beat them pretty handily in two. Like we were all hyped up for this really tough game. Um, you know, college level beach volleyball has grown so much. Like every one through five, one through six is all so competitive. Now there weren't quite as many players when I was there. So we did playing at the fives. We had some games that, were not so, so competitive for us. So we were all hyped up for UCLA to be like really tough. Um, and we beat them kind of handily. And afterwards we're just like, did that just happen? Like, wow, that was, we just gelled, flowed. So I guess um, our kind of opposite personalities bounced off each other really well and just made it easy. <laughs> yeah, I can really relate to that personality uh, meshing because I'm very much introverted. And so mm -hmm. I went out and I found Colin who's very much extroverted and knows every single person in the country and can talk about anything. Um, and that's how this whole thing came to be. Yeah, that's awesome, though. It's it's good to get a different perspective, too. And, like, yeah, a lot of my friends are very extroverted because I need them to, like, pull me out of my bubble. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, I wanted to say about, like, partnering with Zoe, right, it's got to be nice with somebody that's definitely been there before. 
Yeah. Right, so Zoe is like my favorite fun fact of, I think she's right now the only player maybe to have won an indoor national championship and a beach national championship. Oh, that is a good fun fact. I think, oh yeah, you're right. Because 2016 was the first year it was NCAA. So we had Meg Norton, another UCLA indoor player on our team. Um, but 2015 was her beach national championship, which was still AVCA. So yeah, either way, right. I, I'll count the ABCA one. All right. It was still really hard yeah, uh, really. to win that. Very then, so. Um, so there you go. So Meg Norton and, and Zoe Nightingale are the two, the two fun, currently the only two to have won indoor and beach national championships. Um, wow. You're going to work really hard to make sure that we don't see another one this year. <laughs> yeah. Right? I'll try my best. Yeah. Cause uh, Molly Phillips, I think has the best go of it um, going forward and she's going to be playing for the Pac-12 rival, uh, Southern California Trojans, right? Is it is it at all kind of fun for you now being in the Pac-12 and like facing off against your old squad? Yeah, Albeit really fun. I mean, I, I always say like wherever I'm coaching, I will always root for USC unless we're playing against them. So I, I love USC. That's always like my home, my program. Um, but I got to put, you know, all my all my effort, all my chips, all my love into the girls that I'm coaching now. And I think that's the way it should be. So it's really fun though. I mean, I have a good relationship with Dane. He was my box coach, actually. He was the volunteer assistant when I was in school there. And I had him every match I ever played my sophomore year on, he was in my box. Um, so I have very fond memories of him. And it's just fun to like get to compete against that. And it's weird to be colleagues with people who are my coaches, my like bosses, if you think of it that way. And I looked up to them. I felt like they're so much older, smarter, more knowledgeable than me. And now I'm working with them, working against them. Um, so it's kind of cool to like have that idol to strive for right there on the other side of the court for me. Yeah. Cause Andrew was one of your coaches too, right? Yeah. Andrew was the assistant, my, freshman and first half of my sophomore year. And then um, he left to go coach Lauren in the Olympics, which was a great decision by him. They had an <laughs> awesome experience. Um, that's when Allie Lamberson came in and then Gustavo after her and Dane. Um, I don't remember the exact timing of everything, but yeah, really cool to work with Andrew now too and be on the other side of the curtain with him. Cause I remember him being one of my favorite coaches I ever had just because he was so analytical and smart. And I learned, like, I never knew what a play three or a play four was before he taught me. And that's like a very basic thing in beach volleyball now. So he's, that's what I attribute to him is like just knowledge of the game. Do you see his coaching style change at all since he was coaching you to what you're coaching with now? Yeah, that's a good question. Pro I think he's probably evolved over the years. He's very big on constantly learning and doing research or look reading up about research. Um, he's probably just a little more knowledgeable now, a little firmer, I would say. I think he was a good balance for Anna at SC because she's very intense, very fiery, very, in a good way, a hard ass. Um, so he was kind of the opposite of that, like, which we needed. We needed a little support when we wanted someone to go cry to about Anna being a little hard on us. Um, so now that he's running his own program, I think he's expressed to me that he kind of had to make that shift to be a little tougher, a little stricter, um, which I've seen this year 
in like the best way possible. I think he holds the team to a very high standard, holds them accountable. What made you want to get into coaching? Yeah, it's really funny because I never thought I would coach. I think if you had asked me when I was in like high school, college, I would have been like, F, no, I will never be a coach. Like I'm going to go do something completely other than volleyball, which I did when I graduated. I didn't touch a volleyball for two years after I graduated. I was definitely burnt out um, and definitely needed a break, but it made me realize how good I had it when I was playing, like sitting at a desk eight hours a day, nine hours a day, five days a week, doing something that I didn't care about, that I felt was not contributing anything to the world. I just <laughs> couldn't do it after like a year and a half. Um, so I quit and I wanted to go back to playing, which I did a little bit. Um, and I really just started coaching just to make money so I could support myself playing. I didn't think it would be a long-term career, but I fell in love with it, honestly. Um, I think the big turning point for me was coaching Surfside Volleyball Club indoor, a 13U club team where half of the girls on the team I don't think had ever even touched a volleyball before. They had no idea how to play. Some of them had played 12s, but most of them had not. And it was really, it's really tough to coach a sport from scratch, right? Like they had no idea, let alone trying to teach rotations. They didn't even know what a serve was, what bump meant, like how to put their hands together for their platform. So I remember like just passing against the wall, setting against the wall for 30 minutes, every practice for the first week until we could finally hold a rally. We had a girl on the team who didn't make a serve over the net until the final tournament. And everyone, like all the parents jump off the bleachers and blow up cheering. Um, but it was such a rewarding experience because they could actually play at the end. Yeah. We were never going to be the best team in the nation obviously but they could pull to rally they could play we had a couple of girls jump serving we had a middle who could jump jump and block um so just to see their progression and like how bored and how much they didn't want to be there at the beginning of the season versus how excited they were to play at the end of the season was so cool and just so inspiring to me um but yeah, it just, it just made me want to take another coaching job after that and another one after that. And, you know, it all just led to being a real career. Yeah, I think that progression you just described is awesome. But I think you also just described my worst nightmare of walking into a gym and nobody knowing what to do and having to start from day one scratch. Uh, I, I want to move at 100 miles an hour and I, I don't think I could ever go back to that 13 you and be like oh yeah this is how you do this it's like no you gotta have some sort of skill base for me to stay actively engaged mind so you got a very tough mind i'm here yeah oh thanks well it was challenging for sure but they made it easy like once they started to get it they wanted to keep learning and playing and that's i that's all you need as a coach i think is someone who wants to learn yeah, I think one of the first times that I really got to interact with you was um, you were a, a player, uh, right? And it must have been with Therese, maybe, you were getting ready to play an AVP or something like that because you guys came out and worked with Davi. Mm -hmm. uh, so Easter egg for one of our upcoming episodes with Scott Davenport is uh, I was living, I was freeloading down in California and I was hanging out and I just pretty much, Davi said, if you can hit down balls, you can come to practice every day. And so I, I went, but I think what we went over at that practice or what Scott was working on you guys with was literally just running down 
of volleyball. Mm-hmm. Like the little intricacies and nuances of running and chasing after a ball as a defender and the way that you could do something ultimately pretty simple that you've been doing for probably a couple of years at that point, um, but go dig a high line and the focus and I guess um, intensity with which you could do it. It's kind of one of the first moments that I saw you work and then you've obviously gone to Tulane and um, beat the crud out of us last year uh, when, I, when I saw you guys down there at White Sands, but very much fitting in with that, you know, hey, how, what are the little things that we can do to make us better? Um, and, and how can we keep going? And I'm sure Stanford is now reaping the benefits of that. Luckily, I've avoided you guys on the schedule again this year. So um, hopefully I can uh, I can try to do some catch up before playing it. But what is kind of the thing that you like to look at most when you go and start coaching um, an athlete or a program? That's a good question. I think it depends on the player. Um, I think every player, no matter what, first and foremost, pass and set has got to be solid. So when I join a new program, like what I did when I went to Tulane and when I came to Stanford this year was just watch a ton of video. Um, I sat down as soon as I got into huddle, I was watching at least two, three, ideally four or five matches a day, um, which is easy over the summer when we're not practicing and stuff. Um, Obviously, now I don't have quite as much time to do that as much as I would love to. I love watching video, but just noticing their tendencies, um, noticing how they look like. It's hard on video sometimes, but noticing how they look like they react to situations in a game, I felt like started to help me get to know the players before I even really knew them. Um, So yeah, past that, first and foremost, I'm starting to become a bigger and bigger proponent of how important the serve is. I mean, I always thought serving was important, of course, but the stats that I've been taking this fall really show at least with our program at a high level you really can't defend if you don't serve tough like people are just too good at siding out and i'm i come from like probably my personal bias being a smaller faster defender i put a lot of like stock in my defense as a player and felt that i could play defense no matter what my serve was like um One, that's not true for everyone. Two, that wouldn't even be true for myself anymore. Like the level of competition, how good these girls are these days is insane. Everyone passes and sets while everyone can bang the ball. So passing, setting, serving, first and foremost, that's what I watched a lot of. Um, And then I think like just talking to the girls and trying to get honest feedback about how, how they like to be coached. I think it's important to try to tailor yourself to your players a little bit. It's hard with a. We have a roster of 24 girls. It's a lot of people to, I can't memorize, you know, every single little detail about them, but I can remember like, Oh, she, she likes someone intense screaming, you know, giving her criticism. She likes support, whatever. And sometimes they don't even know that about themselves. So I think I found this semester last semester, sorry, that, um, working through that with them, not just asking them like, Hey, what do you like as a coach? And whatever answer they give me is the answer. Like, no, they're always evolving and changing and learning about themselves. Their college kids like to think of themselves as adults, but in my mind, they're still kids. Like how immature I was when I was in college. Oh my gosh. I, that's my basis. Like, hopefully they're all more mature than I was, but if they're not like they have a long way to grow and learn about themselves. So working through those, 
trying out a lot of different things in the fall season, um, like a lot of different coaching styles, a lot of feedback styles and seeing how their body language responds to it, how they like react. I've hopefully I've tried to create a good relationship with enough players that they feel like they can honestly tell me when they don't like something that I've said. Like I will ask them like, Hey, remember that thing I said two plays ago? Like, did that annoy you? Did that make you happy? Did that make you want to work harder? Did that make you want to wish you had another coach on your court? Like, tell me <laughs> I'm not going to be offended. Um, so that was kind of a very long rambling answer, but hopefully I got something out there. Yeah, I'll be very interested to see and hear how the spring goes with you guys because you added somebody to the staff yeah. um, pretty recently, one Billy Allen. Mm -hmm. uh, I think... Uh, arguably the funniest guy on tour um, and one of the all-time good people, but also him and Andrew have such a, a history together, right? So I'll be interested to see how that almost the nonverbal communication with them goes and then how that, that continues to kind of get implemented into the team and the program. Um, do you feel like you've kind of caught on to some of the, we always call them like whatever the name of the head coaches isms. Yeah. Colonisms or Jeremyisms or Andrewisms. Like, have you kind of caught on to some of those? Yeah, I feel like, you know, I feel like Andrew's pretty direct, honestly. Um, like, he'll tell me when he wants me to do something differently. He'll tell me when he wants me to do anything, um, which I appreciate. But yeah, I guess some of the Andrewisms are sometimes he'll walk by at practice and just look at me and go, uh huh, uh huh. So now I'm like, at first I was like, uh, uh-huh, yeah, what? Are you asking me a question? What's going on? But now I know it's just this kind of like, all right, we're rolling. Here we go, practice. Like, keep doing what you're doing. So that's one I've caught on to, I guess. Um, but I don't know. He's a good, he's a great communicator. Like, he he's, he'll say what he means. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Luckily for me. <laughs> and you, you've been tracking serves throughout this fall, you said? Yeah. So I, oh my gosh, we've taken so many stats. Um, I did a, like a quote unquote serving study, you know, it's not like uber scientific, but, um, I tracked, I think it was around like 700, 800 serves from last season. And it was pretty simple, you know, where does the serve go? What's the result of the first ball? What's the result of the rally? But, um, it led to some pretty obvious but decisive evidence that we will not score on defense if we don't serve tough. Um, you know, every once in a while, they'll make an error for you, sure. But by and large, you got to make the passer move to score. Um, and that was what I expected it to be. But I think our players really appreciated having those numbers as hard evidence to, like, really convince them that this is why we're putting so much time into serving and it can be boring to just serve for 20 minutes straight but if you can be really mindful about it and intentional and get better at it it's going to benefit you more than probably 20 minutes of running down shots um so that was cool and then stats we've taken this fall are i think i've statted almost every match we've played this fall which we had 10 pairs play in a lot of events. Um, so that was a lot of matches, <laughs> but we just track side out on the side outside was the pass in system, out of system, um, first ball side out, rally side out, first ball error, 
onto attempt, onto kill, onto error. So it's kind of a lot of information, but it's like, it's kind of bare bones when you really think of it. Like you yeah. need all stuff to draw anything from it. Um, so that was fun to see what those stats were like. And also like keep the coaches honest and kind of test our own intuition and see if who we thought was performing the best really was, if our predictions of like who are going to move up and down in the lineup was supported by the numbers. So I think that was great having that evidence to back us and make us feel like we're not being too biased. It's impossible for humans not to be biased at all, but we try as hard as we can. Um, and then on the serving side, we tracked um, just like aces, errors, defensive, first ball, defensive stop, rally, defensive stop. I think wow. that's it. That's a lot. Michael, I don't know about you, but the biggest piece of hope that I just got from this conversation was that Stanford also hand track statistics <laughs> and doesn't have uh, a computer program that automatically does it for them. So that is very reassuring. Thank you, Joe, uh, for, for giving me that hope. Uh, yes. I think it's fun. So you went to convention as well, and um, we had the opportunity to sit on Brian Hurler's uh, presentation from USA Beach. Uh, yeah. And so this is Brian's second shout out on the pod. Uh, go, go be hurler. Him and I were coaches for coaches class together. So he's somebody that I would consider one of my first friends. The biggest thing that he was talking to me about that led them to doing the serving research kind of like you had was the uh, ability to dig a ball when they left, when a defender left the quote unquote pocket. So mm -hmm. like, didn't matter if you were running a one, two, three, or four. When the defender left the angle, like the earlier they left, uh, the the worse the the defensive ability was, and they had a better shot of just standing there in the cross court and hoping for the best than they did like doing anything else. And so then it made them go, okay, what impacts side out more? Hence serving, and can we get them to not just move right, but can we force somebody that wants to hit from the pin to hit from the middle? Right. Or can we force somebody that, you know, wants to go create a really fast offense? Can we force them to slow down? What are the things that we can do to to kind of impact that? And so it's interesting. I don't know if you've looked at how how he was scouting those matches. Have you seen the the scouting charts? I have not. No. So right, I've for a long time I've used um, like a six court model. So I want a, a line block court, a cross block court a dive line, a dive cross, and then a pull line, pull cross. So I'll have six courts for the same pair. And all I want to know is what they attacked when the defense did X, Y, and Z. Mm, okay. Right. So like, oh, when they see somebody pulling cross, do they often hit cross or will they hit deep middle? You know what I mean? Whatever that might be. Yeah, that's cool. Um, but then what he was showing was rather than focusing on the defense, focusing on where the serve was received. So then you'd have a quadrant, you'd have maybe still six courts, but it'd be like deep down the line, you know, sh sharp in front of them or whatever the, the six different quadrants might be. And that was actually, and then they were tracking hitting um, tendencies, but then also stats kind of off of that. Right. Yeah, that's super cool. I mean, I, I love how in-depth it's getting now. Like, I'm sure there are statistics and this kind of in-depth analysis for most other sports i feel like it's relatively new to beach and we're like on the seeing it growing as it's going is so cool to me and i love 
watching video and taking stats and trying to figure that stuff out. So I got to I gotta get Brian Hurler on the phone and <laughs> learn something from him. Yeah, when you were at SC, right, so Southern Cal has been one of the only places that's had a tech for pretty much the entirety. And I know their technical coordinator occasionally went out to the beach. Um, were you able to kind of, were you guys using that or was that all coaching staff that was taking that information? Yeah, I think it was all coaching staff. I mean, we watched video, so it was nice to like have the video broken down by them. Mm -hmm. um, it was Jeff Liu, who's now at GCU, but he was at SC when I was there doing mostly indoor, as you said, but we got him a couple weeks in the spring and I don't remember ever seeing, hearing, talking about any sort of stats. Um, I'm, the coaches might have used them without my knowledge, but I do remember going into video sessions and having like all the side outs in a row, all the defensive plays in a row. And just that alone, I was like, whoa, this makes it so much easier to watch. Um, so we were very lucky to have that in 2017 when, you know, there's only like 60 beach teams in the whole country anyways. And we have a freaking guy doing video for us like no other program had that so that was amazing um and now we don't really have that with our program um but we have three coaches and a full-time director of ops so also very lucky to have that and that means that i get to do more video which i love to do anyways yeah it's something interesting that you're talking about like the development of stat keeping and i mean for a while uh, i think there was like five federations that had it on the international level and now you're seeing it at pretty much every federation, you were seeing limited video and limited statistical. Like I remember early film trades um, from like that 2017-ish years of like the early film trades being, you know, okay, can we, we missed half of this match. So are you okay trading our threes, twos, and fives? And, you know, we owe you one, right? And it was like this very kind of convoluted everybody's pulling the file sources off of every different website you could imagine and now it's like no we can share with huddle we can uh you know we use ball time and share links there and so mm -hmm. uh, it is cool to see the the growth and kind of development of it i mean is there something that you're obviously you're looking at serving but is there something that you're starting to explore that you would be curious about maybe don't have a good direction on but the early fledglings of a research project Hmm, that's a good question. Um, I don't know if I have like a generalized research project, but I like some stuff that I want to do specifically with our team is, I mean, serving location, like where, when you're on the side outside serving location affecting where you hit now that you said that now I want to track that with my team like that, I think would be really interesting um like frequency and sequencing of plays on defense too i think would be really interesting to look at what's successful um like you know i'm sure there's a difference if you only run ones and twos in the first set and then suddenly randomly in the middle of the second set you throw in some threes and fours is that gonna be make it more likely to be successful less likely dependent on the team probably would be my guess um like if you run a two and then a three back to back and you make the three look like the same as the two, is that more likely to be successful? Or maybe it's more likely to be successful if you throw the three in four plays later because they're not expecting it. And it looks like your two that you ran four plays ago, but they remember how easy of a point it was. Um, I would be interested to 
do some research on that. Um, it's so, it's hard though with beach because I feel like it's such a like open, free flowing sport that it's going to be so dependent on who the players are that you're looking at. And I don't know if I would be able to draw conclusions like, oh, this is the best way. But if I can learn something about one of our specific pairs that's going to help them, it's still worth doing it, I think. Um, but yeah, I think it, it just something I love about this sport, though, like keeps it so open for creativity. And sometimes like the players even know better than I do, like they just try something that I would never think to tell them to try. And it's so fun and awesome. And I'm like, yes, do that again. <laughs> <laughs> that was smart. Try it again. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, that's funny. Cause that's another kind of comment from um, your kind of counterpart over there at Stanford. Kevin Hambly always said, right. Stats don't give us answers. They just get us to ask better questions. Yeah, for sure. Right? And so it's funny. Cause you're talking about nuance. Like, if you're playing me, uh, Joe, I'll tell you right now, if I'm on the court, you can run whatever you want. I'm not looking. <laughs> I, I'm coming in hard, fast. I'm looking at the ball and I'm either going to swing as hard as possible or if the set's tight and I can see that there's a blocker in front, I might try to roll right over the top of them. Right. Yeah. But you or Michael might take a really long look, right? Might have really great vision. And so all of a sudden it's, can we do the play the little cat and mouse game? And that alone right there is going to make it hard for any one person to track enough information to really get to know. I mean, I'd be curious about like, if we're talking about threes and fours, right? What's the break timing for a defender? What's the break timing for a blocker, right? Is it kind of much like a set timing? You know, can we get the ball in a second or less from our setter's hands to our outside hitter on the pin, right? What's the break timing for us in, in a three or a four on defense? Yeah, that would be interesting too. I feel like, I mean, we teach like trying to tailor that timing to who you're playing against, right? Like when they look up at the ball, that's when they're no longer looking at you. That's when you're free to leave. But yeah, I'm like, so now I'm just like wheel spinning in my brain. So curious thinking about how these studies could even be set up to get something out of them when everything is so dependent on the four players on the court and how that changes, you know? based on your whatever five, six pairs, it's always someone different and you can't just take information that you learn from one pair and give it to another. Um, yeah, I think I think that's a really good point right there is like everything is so interchangeable no matter what. Like even when you get film from other teams and you're scouting the team you're playing next, you have no clue if it's being driven by the weather that they're playing in. You don't know if it's the pair that they're playing against. You're, you're just really looking for tendencies or little nuances they do with their body that are going to give away what they're about to do. It's not that you're studying them for their tendencies. You're studying for their, their ability to perform at the highest level possible consistently. And I, I, I think that that has been the hardest. I'm a big stats guy as well. And that's been the hardest mind switch of scouting for me is usually I can go through a scouting report and watch a ton of film and have all these numbers and be able to, to dissect that and be able to pretty much come up with a game plan indoors wise of this is what's going to happen. Here's where they're going to hit. This is how it's going to happen. It doesn't matter what we do. This is what's going to happen. And for beach, it's like, okay, was there wind? Is the sun on that side of the court? All right. Is, 
Is this their first or second game of the day? Is this the third game of the day? How how different are they playing together? Did they travel? All that stuff goes into the game now. And so it, it's really a study of the people. So looking, this is why I'm so intrigued into the serving stats that you've been taking. Because that's a, a skill that you can control 100% of the time, but there is still the weather factors. Have you done any studies with the the speed of the serve yet? And being no, able to look at, is there an optimal speed for a float serve or a jump serve? Because that's what I was getting into at the end of my indoor coaching career. And we found that it does, like the harder you hit the float serve, it didn't mean you had more success. There was an optimal zone for each player that their ball would move more. Um, so I, I was just wondering on that and then taking that into even further with the ABCA fall championship where they switched the balls out on us and they gave us these badens and everyone was serving the ball 10 feet out of bounds. So serving was really lacking at that tournament. I was wondering if you studied that at all. I have not. No, um, I would be super interested to study serving speed. We, we pull out the speedometers at practice sometimes just to give the players a number, a number, something like in their mind that they can connect with what the serve looks like to what the number was, um, and try to get those numbers up. But I haven't done anything like not even close to scientific with it. Um, that would be super interesting though. Like, I like how you said, every player has their own optimal zone where the ball is going to move around the most. And I'm sure every player has their own optimal zone where they have the most control and have, you know, the least amount of errors. Um, so I'd definitely be interested to do that. It's so funny that you mentioned the bottom ball because uh, Andrew and I were actually just talking about it the other day. And he was like, yeah, everyone's bump setting at that tournament was just trash. Like that ball was horrible, blah, blah, blah. Um, but we'll see. Hopefully they, uh, I heard they're going to, make a new version of that for next year. So we'll see how it goes. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. And we're switching to Molten, right? Everybody, we're switching yeah. the NCAA then, ball to Molten. Um, mm -hmm. No, the the serving piece, right, Michael? I think that was another one where I guess I'd be curious what the standing float versus jump float, right? How that's going to impact speed because your, your angle is going to change so much. Mm -hmm. um, Joe, I looked it up because I, I was curious – the way you were talking about it, I thought, man, she must have been like a chemistry major and getting really good at like setting up experiments. Um, no. It's this year that you wanted to work in the music industry. Could you, just to aside really quick, could you fill us in on that and how that went? <laughs> Wait, where does it say that? On your bio at SC. Oh, at SC. It says, um, Joe aspires to work in the music industry, majoring in communication. And her favorite show is Game of Thrones and House of Cards. That's so funny. I still stand by game of thrones disregarding the last season last season horrible rest of it amazing show um but i don't know i honestly don't remember where music industry came from it was probably like that just happened to pop into my mind at the time that i had to fill out the bio form i had absolutely no idea what i wanted to do until two years after i graduated from college gotcha so science wasn't really the background these experiments have come along from a strictly coaching and beach volleyball uh, mindset? Yeah, for sure. No, no scientific background at all. And I mean, honestly, like I would not call the stats I'm taking experiments. Like <laughs> they would not pass the scientific method test at all. Um, There's eh, no hypothesis? I don't know. There's no hypothesis followed by testing? I did not, 
I did not have a formal hypothesis, no. Oh. Um, but I think I, I mean, I think I really just got into stats, like, because I love volleyball. Like, I don't love math or numbers or anything like that. Science, I've never, I never had a subject in school that, like, really piqued my interest. Um, but just when I figured out what I could learn, like, how the stats could help the team, then I was like, oh, hell yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to put my time and energy into something that I know is going to yield some sort of result, some sort of something positive for my team because I'm just competitive like I just want to freaking win man <laughs> yes. Michael this might be our next big venture I think we we can get with the uh coach your brains out crew let's start the scholarly journal for college beach volleyball right so you'll have to submit a formal hypothesis and really have like a good in-depth research done but then we can uh we can start a little scholarly quarterly scholarly journal um I, I was thinking something a little bit lower where um, me and Joe just talked this summer and she gives the ideas and I can create an Excel form and uh, mm. we can have those stats flowing through pretty easily. I, I like to think I'm decently okay at Excel. We, we're Me and Colin both are using ball time right now and it gives you like a little bit of a, a stat line for each game. So I've taken that and I've inputted it into an Excel form of those 10 numbers and been able to break down multiple different levels of what that is to get a bigger, more in-depth question is what I'm looking for from it. And mm -hmm. um, just this winter break, actually, um, I, I wanted to go even more in-depth with it. And I created one form that had over 5 trillion characters of code on it. And it actually ended up crashing my computer so it's sitting <laughs> on a hard drive in my backpack waiting for my bigger computer to be able to run it but I'll, I'll have to break it down but that's definitely something that I would love to do is talk to you about what kind of studies and what numbers you're getting and how we can make it easier and just simple inputs and it, it'll pump out all the data for us yeah I would absolutely love that it sounds great let's do it <laughs> Someone who's good at Excel, please do it for me. <laughs> Joe, you should feel special because I've never once gotten this offer. <laughs> so, well, this does easily segue into kind of one of our favorite questions, which is like, what are we, what should we be looking for from the Stanford Cardinal this upcoming year? What are the things you're working on? With What should we be looking out for from Stanford? Man, good question. Looking out for really tough, really variable serving, um, a lot of on to play, some jump setting, I'm hoping. I think we have a couple who could be solid jump setters. It's just, it's a new skill and just time dependent. If they can put enough time in to feel solid by season to do it in competition, I think we have some that could, but we'll see. Um, and just, I'm hoping what I want the most out of all of these things for my team is just like scrap, heart, hustle, joy, playing. Like no matter what the score is, no matter what the result is, if they can find a way to have fun doing it, then I'm happy. That's awesome. We should be expecting uh, another great year from you guys. Obviously had um, Stanford had a great finish to last season uh, and is now – uh, added some solid weapons in Joe Kremer and uh, and Billy Allen, right? Those are some decent beach volleyball names. Yeah. Um, what 
would be the thing, right? You've seen college beach volleyball go from early, early on, right? One of the first kind of national championship teams um, all the way to now where we're seeing everybody handset and uh, we're running fast offenses and we're jump setting and we're, we're teaching that in college and we're not getting scolded and laughed at like we might've been uh, back then. What would you say is the next evolution for college beach? What do you want to see the game go to? Oh, gosh. I mean, I think you said it, jump setting. Like, I wouldn't say that it's there yet in college. I think players are starting to experiment with it, but it's certainly not the standard across the board. Um, you know, I guess I don't know if it'll ever be the standard, but I do think that's coming in a big way. All the kids growing up watching the Swedish boys just dominate the world tour with jump setting. Um and so someone made a really good point the other day, I honestly can't remember who it was, that like imagine if those kids in Sweden had started doing that at practice and they had some really strict old traditional coach who was like not letting them do it. And I think about that all the time when my players like letting them be creative. Um, but I got totally off topic. I think jump setting and like jump tempo, jump back, like jump fake like you're going to set and then actually do option. Like, I think there's so many cool things you can do with it that is going to happen because when I'm out recruiting, I'm already seeing these freaking little 11 year olds jump setting and <laughs> option serving and running threes and fours. And um, it's going to be here sooner than we think, I think. Yeah. It's exciting. I can't wait to see what people come up with next. Um, and there is nothing more, if we can if we can make one plea to the club coaches of the country, don't hamper creativity. Yes. Do a lot of skill. Like let them let them be bad at it. In fact, encourage them to be bad at it. Hundred percent. There's nothing worse than like, oh, well, they're not physical enough to do this. Well, no duh, but that's not really the point, is it? I think I've long wanted to do baby court for like twelve U. Um, so I don't know if you guys have been out to Outrigger or heard of it at all, but there's essentially a net. It's a little bit lower. The court's a little bit smaller and it's perfect for littles because they can still play volleyball. They learn how to block because there's the nets low enough for them to jump up and block, right? They can, they can do all those things. And I think it's such a great tool that, um, we, we look down upon because it's not the real sport, but like we're okay in basketball when the fourth graders shoot on the eight foot hoop instead of the 10 foot hoop. Like we're cool with that. So they teach good shooting form. Why not the same thing with arm swing and setting and blocking and all that kind of deal. Yeah. Fully, fully agree. I also think they should have a smaller ball so they can hand set <laughs> topspin serve all that. So maybe this is the Baden, like maybe this is the niche market that Baden should be looking into. <laughs> That's their chance. They could make the baby court ball. They could be all right. Cause I think it's great for hand setting. Like that ball has the big panels, right? Your hands kind of stick on it pretty well. So like there's, there's some really nice possibilities to utilize it. Right. I think it's just collegiately. We were probably a little frustrated because we used the Wilson and half of us just spent, you know, another $5,000 on new Wilson. Oh. <laughs> <You just laughs> Practice. Yeah. 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 So I think that's uh, probably where college came from, but like, there's no reason we can't have a, a niche market elsewhere. Like how Spalding King of the Beach used to 
used to dominate certain circuits and that kind of deal. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think any ball is fine as long as you have time to practice with it, right? Like, yeah. if the the issue is that they went into the tournament having never seen this ball before. Like, any ball will make work as long as we get it in time to actually use it and get used to it. This is where you guys should have gone to the qualifier the week before. I found found out there. <laughs> yeah. We went to the qualifier and uh, and they rolled out all the bottom balls for our warm up court. And I was like, what's going on here? He goes, oh, that's, that's what we're using next weekend, so we want to break them in. I go, so we're breaking them in at this qualifier tournament? <laughs> okay, great. Can't wait to – our kids are like, what are these? I go, They're, it's a volleyball. Um, it'll be fine. We're all in the same – the one perk, right, was we're all in the same boat. Yep. There wasn't anybody that, like, walked in there and was like, ha-ha, suckers. Been practicing with these for years. Um Except maybe Long Beach. Mike, uh, one year at Long, when I was at Northridge, Long Beach was supposed to host the Big West Conference Tournament. And halfway into the year, we find out that Mike has a deal with Bodden. And so that will be the ball we're using at uh, at the Big West Conference Tournament. And uh, that year was COVID, so we never actually came to fruition. But there was a battle brewing. If you think, uh, if you think Hawaii and uh, Cal Poly were going to be totally cool with us using Bodden balls at the Big West tournament? No way. I would have paid to see the fireworks, man. But instead, the whole world got shut down. So life, life will go on. <laughs> um, well, Joe, thank you so much for hopping on and, and being a part of it. Um, we really appreciate you. And it's been awesome getting to watch, you know, you be a Louisianan for a little while. And now um, back out to California and all the great things that you and Stanford are going to be able to accomplish this year. Yeah, thank you. Been honored to be here. Always love to talk volley, so anytime. Awesome. Well, thank you guys.